Lord God, we come to you and we praise you and thank you, Lord, for who you are, for all you do, God, for your presence in our lives. God, for the many different ways we can worship you. And Lord, we thank you for, for music. We thank you for prayer. We thank you for, uh, you know, our time and our service. Lord, and the knowledge of learning in you, God, and, and we thank you for our money. And Lord, we offer back a portion of that today through your tithes, offerings, and gifts. And I thank you, God, for those that are faithfully giving. Lord, I ask today that you, Lord, would just give us your presence. Lord, that we would feel your spirit, Lord, here with us. God, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what you need us to hear or experience today. And God, as you already know, sometimes we bring different needs with us. And God, as we come here this morning, Lord, we lay those needs at your feet. And God, those might just be praises and celebrating victories with you. Lord, or it might be struggles. And God, we, we lay those at your feet as well. God, if we're struggling physically, we're struggling financially, we're struggling relationally, struggling emotionally, struggling spiritually, God, we ask for your, your special touch and hand and release your power in our lives. God, we thank you for being with us no matter what we face. And God, this morning as we open your word, I pray that you would open in our eyes and our hearts and our minds to what you need us to see this morning. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. And God, I pray that you would guide us now as we continue in worship. Lord, through studying your word and, and learning and growing. And Lord, we love you. And God, thank you for loving us first. Guide us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are uh, continuing this message series titled Life of Worship as we started the new year and, and uh, started off with always these these big ambitions, right, to make 24 better than 23 was. And with that said, we make all these kind of like different commitments and resolutions and, and, and high hopes, right, for all this coming. And, and so I wanted to start off this year, right, with looking at how do we truly worship God? Because the reality is that's what we were made to do, right, is we need God in our lives. And, and we, um, you know, our, how we love God back is through our worship. He loved us first, right? He sent his son to live, to die, to be resurrected on the third day, to provide a way for us to be saved, to have a relationship with him. And, and once we receive him as our savior and invite him into our lives, then, then we enter into a new journey, a journey of faith, right? A journey that's headed towards Christ. And, and a transformation comes with every step of that journey, and that happens through worship. Yeah, our, our theme verses for this series are found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Romans 12. Uh, if you're here in person and don't have your own Bible, their Bible is provided for you in the seat. You're welcome to grab and use. If you're with us online, you can grab your Bible as well. Or just follow along as I read it. But uh, again, these verses should be very familiar by now, right? That's just kind of the point. That's why it's the theme of this series, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2 give before us what true worship is. Where it says, starting at verse 1, Romans chapter 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
Again, as we read these verses, we see right in the middle, right, the last sentence of verse 1, right before this leads into verse 2, is we have this statement that says, this is truly the way to worship him. And again, this naturally implies that there are false ways to worship. Right, that there are things that maybe we think are worship that maybe really aren't. Or even if they are acts of worship, that they're potentially a small part of what worship really is. Because we've been diving into this series and looking at all these different areas of life. Uh, we've realized and seen right, that worship is one of those words that we throw out a lot. Especially in churches. And, and, and oftentimes we can reduce it down to something that, that might be a part of what it is. But, but it's just a small part of the bigger picture concept that scripture teaches us. You know, one of the most common ways we hear that word used is to describe the music part of the service. But it's way bigger than that. Right? Or, or again, our worship service, we just come as something that we come to church to do. And the reality is that the biblical picture of that is that worship should be everything we do. Worship is how we love God back. Because he loved us first. Right? He, he loved us enough to send Christ, right, to, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, to rise again. And again, he made the first move. And how we love God back is with everything in our lives, everything in our minds, everything in our hearts, right, is that we offer that back to God in every moment we're breathing can be an act of worship. And as we look at that, we realize, again, from these verses, from this, you know, this, this teaching on what true worship is, we have to start at the very foundational truth that everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. You are created for relationship with our God, and we were created for worship. And so, again, if we're not worshiping God, if God's not in our lives, we chase after all kinds of things to try and fill that void in that hole. And everybody worships something because it's a part of how God created us. And the next thing we have to realize as we you know, approach what is true worship is, is understanding that the destination of your journey will determine what you worship. Again, what do you give worth to in your life? What's your motivation? What will you do? And whatever the destination of your journey is, if it's, if it's God, right, if Jesus is the destination of our journey to be like him every day, then all we do moves us towards that end. And those are all acts of worship. If it's not God, right? Again, we can put all kinds of different things, right? What's the goal of our life? What's our motivation? Why do we get up in the morning? What am I striving for? Right? Why do I go to work? Why do I parent my kids? Why do I do everything that I do? Right, whatever the destination is, it determines how and what I will worship. And we see again in the definition of true worship tells us what true worship is. The first thing that we learn from these verses is that true worship starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right, and that is how we can truly worship right? and, and, and have God a part of our life because we were created to be in relationship with him. And when that relationship has been broken by our sin... Right, by, by um, again, our rebellion, by all of that, then we have that void missing in our life. And I will tell you is that that is the first step. If you are here today or if you're watching online and you've never prayed and accepted Christ as your Savior, this is where you start. This is how you start to, to that's the road to true worship, is it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And have that relationship restored. And if you haven't done that, it's a simple prayer of confession, 
and, and acceptance of God's love and grace and forgiveness and to surrender of, of my will and to give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I want my life to be about you. I want you to be the destination of my journey. And just simple prayer, ask him in your life. That's how we start that relationship and that's how true worship starts. And we also learn from these verses that true worship puts the focus on God instead of myself. Right? Because as a follower of Jesus, I'm now, again, when I, I start this transformation process, and it means right, that my life is now about God, it's not about me. Because guess what? The world tells me it's all about me. And yet this verse tells us to not copy the pattern of the world, right? But, but your life will look different. Your life will be different because, because true worship puts the focus on, on God instead of myself as well as puts the focus on the why behind what I do. And the outside of our lives might look exactly the same as somebody who doesn't worship God. But our reasons behind what we do are going to be very, very different. Why True worship puts the focus on the why behind what I do, and it, it puts the focus on God instead of myself. Again, so how do I do this? How do I worship what do I worship? These are all foundational questions. And the reality is the scripture tells us lots of different ways we can worship God. Like I said, every aspect of your life can be a worship, an act of worship, if it brings glory to God, right? And if it moves me forward in my faith. And yet the scripture gives us some very specific ways and teaches us how to worship God through these different ways. And that's what we've been doing in this series. We've been looking at, at these different ways we can worship God. And again, there are many ways to worship him, and yet all of them will transform us. All of them will change you, if it's true worship. And as we're looking at that, the things that we've called out throughout this series, the first one, week one, we looked at prayer, and how we worship God through prayer, as the basis of our communication with God. And the strength of any relationship hinges on your communication. It's true in human relationships, and it's true in your relationship with God. The next week, we looked at music and how music is a way that God has given us to express our emotions, our feelings, and our perspectives. We see music all throughout Scripture in many different lights. And we also realize how powerful music can influence us. Right? Not just Christian music, but just music in general, right, is, is how much it can influence our lives. And then last week, we looked at worship through knowledge about learning more about who God is, about who I am, about how he made us, and about how he wants this world to work. And, and as we get closer to God, and the more we know about him, the more that his light exposes things in our lives and reveals to us what's really going on and what's around us. Right? It transforms the way we think, and it changes our perspective. And no other spiritual discipline will help you move forward in your journey faster than consistent Bible reading and study. It's been true in my life. It's been, I've seen it true in, in so many other people's lives. Right? No other spiritual discipline will move you further and faster in your spiritual journey than consistent Bible reading and study. And with all of those, we see that now we've got to this one today, and that is, the, is that I worship God through money. And I know, I understand. Right? I can feel the proverbial side. Great, this is the money sermon, right? I know we all kind of feel that. And again, I'm going to talk about that here in a moment, but before we do that, 
I'm just like as we've done with these all of these other areas is I've, I've asked uh, just some, some people in our church family who who have experienced worship through these different areas to share with us some of their story and how God has used these different things to transform their lives and move them forward. Today we're going to hear from Joe and Carly Panulo about how managing money God's way has has affected their faith journey. Hi, my name is Joe Panulo. Uh, it's my wife Carly. Uh, we uh, want to talk about you know tithing and and uh, and how it relates our relationship with God and 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 so kind of talking about in our younger years. We've been together for over thirty years, and when we were younger, uh, I remember going to church and you know we throw five dollars in the plate, twenty dollars in the plate, and at the time raising three kids and and you know our careers were just starting, not making a lot of money. It seemed like a lot of money, but then you look at all the other things, you know, going to Starbucks and getting a $6 coffee or whatever. It's like, why, you know, looking back on it now, you know, why was I not putting more into that plate? And so, and it kind of goes to where our heart is uh, and, and how we grew in our, our faith in Christ. But there came a point um, where I needed to um, do a full 10% of my paycheck. Um, but kind of in the back of my mind, knowing that we weren't um, tithing on Joe's paycheck, I kind of had a little bit of a, um, like a security blanket, if you will. But um, after we retired uh, here to Idaho and we found our home church, we felt led um, to put our full trust in God's provision and to tithe the 10% that the Bible talks about even though there would be no extra income, no overtime that we were used to when we were, um, you know, having full careers, the both of us. And so that kind of led to when, when I retired and um, uh, I started my training company where I was training law enforcement all over the country, uh, the company, it, it took off and I was very busy and, and a lot more income was coming in. Uh, and and so as that money was coming in, because we always throughout our years had our money separate, and now, you know, my wife takes care of all the bills because uh, I'm not good at that stuff. So uh, she does a great job with that. But as that income was coming in for the trainings, it was I started having guilty feelings of why I'm not giving my 10% from my training money and not knowing I go to my wife and explain to her that we need to start giving our full 10% to God and being faithful to him because throughout the years he was always faithful to us, you know, thinking about, you know, a bill coming in and how are we going to pay for it and then a check shows up in our mailbox for almost the exact amount that we needed and that was God. At the time, not realizing that, now looking back, we do realize that. That was always God being faithful to us and providing for us. So when I asked my wife, I wanted to start paying, you know, the, you know, giving our, our 10%, uh, come to find out she was already doing it with all our other money, our retirement check and everything. And, uh, and so uh, then as, you know, my income comes in for the training, 10% goes to the church and, and, and there's no thought to it because that's where our heart is with God and, and building his kingdom and, and how much that helps uh, with so much. Uh, and that's why we do it. Yeah. 
Um, just uh, to further that, um, for us, it's the tithe, um, which, you know, we're taking it, the 10% that the Bible talks about, um, to tithe on our income is our way of honoring God for all the faithfulness that he has showed us and knowing that he will always take care of us and our needs. Um, and it's not just monetarily that he takes care of us. I mean, I think about, you know, our health, our family, um, our friends. I mean, just every everything in our lives. I mean, I even consider just the very breath in my lungs um, a gift from God. So um, we worship God for his goodness and his graciousness toward us. Um, and that's why we have felt led to be faithful in our giving back to him and helping build on his kingdom. And so I just kind of want to uh, close with a verse um, from Matthew 6, um, verse 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. And I think that's important for us as, as Christians and, and followers of God to be faithful to him because God is always faithful to us in all that we do. As we hear, again, their, their story, their testimony of how God has, has led them, as you see, as a part of their journey, and, and how God, you know, moved them, not just all in all these other areas of our life, but even how they manage their money. And I think as we look at that, again, they mentioned it, it was what the first thing that they said in the video, and, and something that just we see biblically is, is just true over and over and over again, is that biblical teaching about money is really about your heart. It's actually not about money at all. In fact, Scripture talks about money a lot. And, and when it does, it's, it's never really about your money. It's always about your heart. In reality, that's what God wants, right? God wants your heart. He wants, he wants who you are, right? He wants your worship. And, and again, as through all of the biblical teaching, and, and we see there's, again, lots of verses. And we're going to look at lots of verses today. We're going to, you know, kind of go through them somewhat quickly and because... There's just so much. Hey, but, but as we jump into that, I want to start with, with this passage out of Mark chapter 7. And again, this is where Jesus, one of the many places where Jesus is going back and forth with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. He did this a lot. And in Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, Jesus replies to them. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Again, as we first read this, we realize right, that Jesus is quoting a prophecy from Isaiah. It's from Isaiah 29, 13. And then Jesus throws in his own commentary at the end, right? It says, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Now, again, you might at first glance be like, Brian, this, this verse doesn't say anything about money. And you're right, it doesn't on the face value. It doesn't talk about money. Okay, but yet Jesus called them out at the very beginning. He says, you are hypocrites. Again, these are the religious leaders and the Pharisees at the time. But notice what he does say. He's, the problem that Jesus addresses is that he says, they honor me with their lips, with their words, right, with the out, outward part of their life. He's like, but their hearts are far from me. 
Again, that's exactly what a hypocrite is, right? When their words and their actions don't match the inner part of their life, of their heart. And notice, though, Jesus says that these two are separate for them, and the result is that their worship is a farce. Now, I, I thesaurus that word this week, because I'm like, what, what exactly does that mean? Now, it is fake, right? It, it's, it's not real, but it's more than just fake. Okay, one of the words that comes up if you thesaurus farce is deceptive. And a whole bunch of other words that are way worse than just fake. And and again, Jesus is telling them, he's like, hey, your worship is not just false worship. It's worse than false. It's like deceptive. And part of that is because of of the role that they were in, the responsibility that God had given them. And they, they were presenting something that they were not doing themselves. He says their hearts We're far from God, and that's what makes their worship false and deceptive and and terrible on so many different levels. Which is why Jesus' words were so strong to them. And and the reason I bring this up and say is like, even though on the surface it has nothing to do with money, the reality is it absolutely does have to do with money. Right? Because the concept that we see run through scripture that Jesus brought up more than once is this concept that we see in Luke 12, 34. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And yet what makes worship, not just fake worship, but terrible worship, deceptive worship, is if your heart and your actions don't match. And yet, where your treasure is will define where your heart is. Right? And so, as we see, right, it's not, it has not just to do with money. It has to do with every area of our life, right, that is potentially an act of worship. And especially, again, where your treasure is, the desire. Again, this, this is the cause, right? It's, it's, again, it's about money. This verse is about money. But notice it's not actually about your money. It's about your heart. And that's what God so desperately wants is your heart he wants you again i I would tell you as the as we look at this right in this concept if we go back to to the mark passage for a moment okay and as we look at this right jesus pulls this out right he says that they they take their man-made ideas and they replace those with the the commands of god Again, God, we have God's law, God's way. And he says, and you've, t- you've taken that and you've, you've put it in place with your own human tradition. And again, to say, as I realize, right, you're probably thinking, like, wow, I came to church on the wrong week because I have to hear the money sermon. Right? And I'll tell you, the reason why, right, we feel that way is because I will tell you, when it comes to money, even Christian church teaching about money is there's all kinds of bad teaching and 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 our own traditions and our own selfish ambitions that's been tied into teaching about money in churches okay and and there's there's all kinds of it around there and and because of that right it is a lot of pastors just completely ignore it and say okay i just won't ever talk about money Hey, now, with that said, right, there's that, there's that elephant in the room when it comes to American Christian churches, isn't there? I know, some of you will be like, yup. 
right? And so, but to say that, but the other side of, of this equation that Jesus gives us, right, is that we can't sincere our tradition, but we do have to live up to God's law, right, to God's way and what he teaches us. And to tell you is that if I never teach you anything about money from the scriptures, then I am a hypocrite as your pastor, Hey, because part of my responsibility as your pastor is to teach you what God's word says. Hey, and and to, to present the God's law, right, and his way of doing life, and his way of worshiping, and his way of, of handling money, and all those kinds of things. And so if I don't teach you this sermon, I have to stand in front of Jesus one day and be held accountable to what he's put on my shoulders. And I'm not willing to stand there and say, sorry, Lord, I never touched money. Because God talks about money a lot in Scripture. But when he does, okay, it is not about money, it is about our heart. Okay, and the other thing to say is that part of the, you know, the, the weirdness about money, okay, again, is because of as we, as we give money to a church or to a ministry, to an organization, whatever it is, right, if we tithe or it's an offering, is that there's always kind of question about, like, like, do they really need my money? How are they managing my money? How does it all work? Okay, and again, I just want to tell you, and I can only speak for faith or any church, because that's the one, the church that God has put me in charge of running. At faith or any church, we have layers and layers of checks and balances in counting the money and bringing it in and setting our budget and how we spend the money and where it goes and all of those things. And, and again, if, if anything that is not honoring God is happening with money at any level, with any person, with any staff person, any board member, we will know it right away. Because we take it very seriously. And we go through these extensive processes every year to set our budget and kind of all these things. And there's levels of accountability and, and all those kinds of things. Okay, I, I, now to say that, okay, is, is um, even with that said, is that yes, the money you give to the church is what funds our budget every year. Okay, but again, I hope you can heal, feel my heart, right, as I'm communing this, is that this, again, me teaching you this, it's not self-serving. I know there's always that weirdness about it. And again, a mentor of mine, when I, like, when I was young in ministry, told me, he's like, always remember this, that whenever money's involved, people get weird. And it's just true. And I've seen that played out so many times. So like I said, I just wanted to address the elephant in the room before we jump into this. Right? Uh, um, again, to say that is, is, again, all of the giving through that, as your pastor, I tell you, is I do not know who gives how much and how often. If you give to the church, if you tithe or you don't tithe, I don't know that. And quite frankly, it's none of my business. I don't want to know that. The only way that I will know is if you tell me. And so, again, I'm telling you, I, you don't have to tell me. I don't want to know. Again, our staff don't know. The board members don't know who gives how much and how often. There are just a few people because somebody has to know. Right? And again, those people are held accountable for the responsibility that comes with that. Now, again, with all of that said, is as we look at this, it, it is... There's so much scripture about money, right? There are ways that God has laid out in his law and throughout that about the ways we should handle money. And again, it starts with the very foundation of where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And with that said, as, as we see, um, again, Jesus continues to kind of pick this fight with the Pharisees in many different places. Another place he addresses them, where he addresses tithing and money specifically with them is in Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. Hey, where it says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. 
but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides. You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Again, I, I've heard in some of the pushback, right, and in, in some of the, that false teaching that's out there in circles about tithing is that it's, it's an Old Testament concept. It doesn't apply to us at this time within the, the New Testament church. And, and again, that Jesus never addresses it. And we can see in this passage, he does address it. That he does bring it up. And he says, he says, should you tithe? Yes, you should. But his point is that, that if you tithe, right, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Right, and make sure that you're doing it to honor God, not, not yourself. Right, make sure that, that you don't, again, don't, not neglect the more important things. What are more important than your money? It's your heart. What's more important than your money? It is your acts of worship. Okay, and I will tell you, is God's love for you is not attached to whether you give to the church or not. And your giving record has nothing to do with how much God loves you, or whether you can be saved or not, or, or any of that. Okay, and, and yet, as we realize, though, that Jesus tells us that we should tithe. He says, but yet, have a healthy picture of it. You know, also in Luke chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus tells us, he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and scoffed at him. And now we see, right, why Jesus picked so many fights with these people. Because he calls them out. Right? And yet when he calls them out, he is telling them, he's like, but your heart is not with me. Again, you're outside, you say the right things, you, you even put all this on people, but yet you yourself, your hearts are far from me. Right? And that's the biggest issue. And again, and Jesus tells them a concept that we need to fully understand as well, is that you cannot be devoted, you cannot worship God and also be enslaved to money. Again, he's very clear. There is no wiggle room in that statement. That either your heart is for God or, or it's not, right? It's a different master. And that master might be money or it might be something else. Okay? But again, what does God truly want? He wants your heart. And every act of worship that we have, whether it's money or anything else, right, needs to be focused on that. On God himself as the destination of our journey. Again, this word tithing has been thrown out a lot. And so, again, I want to address that just specifically as, as we look at this next kind of foundational truth when it comes to God's way about money. Okay, is that tithing uh, is the biblical foundation of godly generosity. Okay, again, it's the biblical foundation, right? It's the starting point. It's the first thing that God tells us to do, right? And it's, we get to that place. But again, it's not about the tithe specifically. It is about creating this heart and focus on generosity in our life. If we look, dive deeper into this, is to say, remember, what is the goal of our faith as followers of Jesus? Again, the goal of our faith is not heaven, right? The goal of our faith is to be, to become holy like God is holy, be transformed by his spirit to be more like him every day. 
That, that's the goal of our faith. Okay, and if that is the goal of our faith, right, then we follow God's example. Right, and we should, and that's how we move forward, right, is we be transformed to be more like him every day. And the God that we serve is an incredibly generous God. Incredibly generous. And we start with the premise that's presented a lot, in a lot of places in Scripture. We're going to look at Psalms 24.1, where it says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So what is God's? Everything. What's not God's? Nothing. Everything in the world. By us, our stuff, our jobs, our kids, our churches, our possessions, it's all God's. Everything in it is God's. Which means everything that I have in my life has come from him. Not just my stuff, right? But even the very breath in my lungs is from God. It's all his. And he gives it to us. He generously gives it to us. He, he gave us his son, right? So that we could be, have a restored relationship with him. I mean, we serve an incredibly generous God. And as we, we realize that, then everything that I have in my life is his, which means that I am not the owner of any of it. I am just managing it for God. He has loaned it to me. Right? And as I realize that, is it changes my entire perspective of how I live life. Right? Because if it's mine, we go through life with clenched fists and I, I hold on to everything tightly. Whether it's my money, whether it's my kids, whether it's my marriage, my job, my house, my cars, like all those things, I just hold on to them so tightly because I've worked for them and they're mine. Right? But when we do that, right, is that it affects every area of our life. And yet what God's calling us to do, not just through tithing, but to get to this place of generosity is where I can live life with open hands. And say, God, you have entrusted me with all of this. Right? And it's still yours, but I'm going to manage it the way that I can and for your glory. Right? And, and again, it's, it's all for you, Lord. It's not mine. And even God's love and his grace and his mercy and his presence right, comes into me that is on that, and it flows back out through me, I hope. Right? And again, you look at that and realize it's, it's, none of it is mine. And if we think about that, again, we think about the living life of generosity and the living life with open hands, and, and which allows me to receive from God as well for it to flow back out, right? It's all just an act of worship of him. And when we think about that, this concept of tithing, and again, in scripture, and it's given in Hebrew, a bunch of different ways, but the Hebrew word for tithe is literally translated as 10%. Okay, there's no other way to translate that word. Okay, that's what it means. That literal meaning of tithe is 10%. Okay, and that's where that 10% number comes from, okay? As we think about that, and with this idea that everything is God's, and realizing that God is not asking me to give him 10% of my stuff or of my money. Okay, God is letting me keep 90% of what he's brought into my life. And that is an incredibly generous God. Right, and God also made me, and he knows how much how much it will take to keep my heart focused in the right place. 
right? Because again, 5% might not be enough. 15% is probably too much, right? And God, God established that number, right? And he knows our hearts and he knows what it will take to that. Again, as we look at this concept of a tithe, okay, is that this tithe, again, it's all God's already and he's brought it into my life and now as I manage it for him, the tithe is supposed to go directly to God so he can decide where it goes and what it's used for. After all, it's his anyways. You know, there are four biblical requirements of a tithe. Okay, the first one is 10%, and I kind of throw that out, right? Again, if you give 5%, it's not a tithe. Okay, if it doesn't meet all four of these biblical requirements, then it's an offering. And again, those are addressed in Scripture as well. Like, those are that's part of a life of generosity. But the first one is 10%. The second biblical requirement for a tithe is that it's given with no strings attached. Right, meaning that it, it's God's, and he's the one that manages it and directs how it's used. Okay, no strings attached. Okay, next is that a tithe is given to where you are being spiritually fed. Now, again, in our culture, I hope that that's your local church. If you're not being spiritually fed in your church, then there's bigger questions we got to address, right, other than just where your money's going. Okay, and the fourth one is that it is given first, off the top, so that it is an act of faith. Right, so that I am telling God, when I give it first, it means that God, I am trusting you that I will get by with the 90 that's left. Right, because if we give it at the end, right, we all know how much money is left at the end of the month, don't we? Okay, and if we get at the end, we're like, if everything else is met, then God, you'll get yours, and then that's not an act of faith. Okay, and, and now again, if, it, if, if your giving doesn't meet all four of those requirements, it's not a tithe, biblically, it's an offering. And we see there was um, different times where God had these conversations with his people. And about uh, in the book of Malachi, he talked to them about, and they came to God. And they're like, God, how come you're, you're holding back from us? How come we don't have your blessings? Why is everything going terrible? And God addresses several different things with his people in Malachi about why um, his, his blessing is not on them. One of them that he addresses is in Matthew, Malachi 3, verses 9 and 10. And he addresses their tithe. He says, you are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it and put me to the test. Again, this is the only place in all of scripture that God invites us to test him. Okay, and notice what it's connected to it is connected to our tithe and he says do it all the way right bring it all the way in now again the the niv version of this passage says you know, where it says bring all the tithes in nlt it says bring the whole tithe right which kind of implies that it's not that they weren't giving to god it's that they were they weren't giving him the whole tithe right again as we look at that um again think about this concept proverbs 3 verses 9 and 10 where it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Yeah, I would tell you, as, as just personally, right, so that, to tell you just my own personal integrity, I'll tell you is that Maureen and I, we biblically tithe. Yeah, I will tell you, again, we lead by example in that. And I will tell you, as we've seen this happen in our lives, and it's that, again, it, it brims over with new wine, like, like, we're full. We have what we need. 
And I will tell you, in our lives, I can tell you story after story after story how things just show up in our lives for exactly the right price that we can afford. Hey, and sometimes, and it's not just money, it's different things. I tell you, we have gotten things that we need in our lives for pennies on the dollar of what they are worth. And there's no other way to say it, just God does it. Again, that we don't have time to go into all of those stories, but we have a lot of them. In 2 Corinthians 31, 12, it says, Then they faithfully brought in the offerings, the tithes, and the dedicated things. I wanted to show you this passage because, and again, I gave you the New King James Version on your outline because this specifically shows the offerings, tithes, and stuff. Okay, and there are three distinctly different Hebrew words. Okay, and yet they're all brought in. It says they're all brought into and given to God. Okay, offerings, tithes, and dedicated things were just stuff. Hey, as you think about this, and, and again, this concept of what the God tells us, again, tithing is the foundation of a generous life, right? As we pattern after an incredibly generous God. And, and as once our heart is right and we, we get this right, then it opens the path to blessing. Okay, to God's blessings into your life. And God's blessings come in all kinds of ways. It's not just monetary. It's not just money. It's not just stuff. Okay, it just God's blessings, again, just come in our lives through so many different ways. But when our heart is right, whether it's with money or any other area of worship, right, is it opens up to the path of blessing. And that is true with every area of worship, and it is also true with your money. Okay, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 and 9 and 10. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunges them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true, true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And there's a couple of things to point out. Again, I encourage you to underline or circle the phrase, true godliness with contentment. Okay, now that has a lot to do with your money, but it has a lot to do with a way bigger concept than just your bank account. True godliness with contentment is more than you can ever even describe, right? It's great wealth. And it has nothing to do with the balance of your bank account. It has everything to do with how you worship and what you worship. Okay, the other thing about this passage is that this is one of the most misquoted verses probably in, in all of scripture, okay, especially when it comes to money. Because you've probably heard somebody say, well, the Bible says that the money's the root of all evil. It's not, right? That's not what this verse says. This verse is misquoted that way all the time, okay? Money is amoral. It's not good or bad. Okay, what is the root of all evil? The love of money, right? That's what the verse says. And again, it's not about money at all, is it? It's about our heart. Matthew 25, verse 23, Jesus telling us, he says, the master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, and so now I will give you many more responsibilities. So let's celebrate together. If we truly are generous and manage all of God's stuff his way, then we will be given more because he knows we can be trusted with his stuff. 
and with his presence and with his love and with his grace and his mercy and, and everything that flows into our lives and back out of us into the world, right, by God. If he can trust you with it, he will give you more. Again, we see this concept over and over and over again in Scripture. When he knows you can handle it, that it is the path to blessing. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, where it says, Give and you will receive. Your gifts will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. Again, this is just an incredible word picture, right, of a life, living a life with open hands. Right, of not only is it open hands of a life of generosity and can it flow out of me into the world, right, and, and I can represent God in that way, but it's the same way that God can bless me. Right, give you a receive. Right, that, that determines in that. And I would tell you, as wealth is seen over and over again in the Bible as a reward from God, to those that are faithful and obedient. And therefore, again, I feel like another false teaching that's out there is it saying that as a Christian, you, you can't be wealthy. And I think that is a lie. Again, Scripture shows over and over and over again, right, that God blesses people with wealth. And, and yet, again, if you are wealthy, if you have money, and you're handling it God's way, don't let anybody ever make you feel guilty for being wealthy. Think about this, right? That, again, if, if we are, if we're close to God and we know we can handle it and God gives us the more of his stuff, right, whether it's through money or for anything else, think about if, if more godly people had a whole bunch of money that they were ready to give away, think about how that would change our world. Right? Godly people with a lot of money absolutely would change our world when they live with open hands. Right? In fact, godly people with a lot of money could, could rid our culture of a need of any government assistance programs. How awesome would that be? Right? But God's people, again, have to find it right and get that wealth and then be able to pass it on. Godly, wealthy people absolutely could change this world. And I know we've talked about Financial Peace University and it's talks, but one of the things that is taught in that, one of the things that Dave says in that class, is he says, the most fun you will ever have with money is outrageous generosity. Right? And it's one of the goals of that class, is to, get, to get your debt paid, get you to where you have, ah, you have money, and then you get to give it away in God's name. And you will never have more fun with money than blessing other people with Hey, my final thought for you this morning is this. Matthew 6, verses 32 and 33. It says, your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Again, it's, it's always about your heart, right? Live about your worship, right? That, that it's about God above everything else in my life. He's above my finances, he's above my job, he's above my family, he's above everything. But he is the only thing worthy of my worship. And if I do that, God already knows your needs, and it says that he will give you everything you need. That is a promise that we can stand on. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today. 
but I hope that you'll take a step forward. Hey, maybe if you're here in person or watching online, you've never received Christ your Savior, that's where it starts. Right, again, God doesn't need your money, but he desperately wants your heart. Take that step. Wherever you're at in your life, in your journey, take a step forward. Lord God, that is our prayer today. God, that you would take everything we are. God, we offer it to you as an act of worship. God, we, we love you back because you first loved us. And God, may our lives bring you glory. May our lives be a testimony, God, to your love and your grace and your provision. And Lord, as we go this week, we commit that we will worship you in every area of our life. And Lord, we give you our heart. And Lord, I pray, God, that everything you bring into our lives, Lord, can be a reflection of you. Lord, that, that, that our hearts and our actions would match. God, because they're all focused on you. God, we worship you. We worship you with everything we have and everything we are. God, as we go this week, I pray, God, that our worship, that our faith, that our trust in you, God, would show this world who you are. Lord, that your light would come into our lives and would shine through us into this world. God, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. God, as we go, as we